This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. Sometimes we paint ourselves into corners. The randomness of dice rolls can permanently alter plot lines. Player decisions can unintentionally break a GM's plans. How can we get out of self-dug holes? And how can we avoid digging them in the first place? Hello everyone, welcome to Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur, and I am here with my folks from under the library, Michael and Emily, and this week we are joined by Scott. Emily's the one who runs this here show, so I am going to pass it right over to her. Emily, the show's all yours. All right. Well, usually I have some idea of how I want to answer our question before we start the session, and this week I don't. So I'm really excited to see where we end up today. But I'll start off by sharing an example from my own play that also involves art and our keeper, Michael. And that was a situation in our second season, in our third season. Oh, boy. If it's, the same, if season, it's the same one that I'm thinking, it's second. Yeah, with Joe and Franny and Franny having to talk down to Joe. Yep. Yeah. Um, with, with Joe and Franny in our second season. And Art, you can fill in the details that I don't remember. You mm -hmm. had to roll on something. Mm -hmm. And what that something was, I think, is not directly relevant. But the bad roll was uh, followed by an order from the Keeper to essentially disrespect my character and her just dismiss her views, her beliefs, the, the information that she was giving you. Mm -hmm. And so, first of all, I know you mentioned that that was really hard for you as a character, as a person playing a character. Mm -hmm. So I would love you to talk about that. And then we can also talk about how that really made some things hard for us going forward. Yeah, it's funny that, that you mentioned that, because that was the one that when I was thinking about corners that I've been painted into. Um, I know it's happened other times, but that one really stands out. Um, maybe because we've talked about it quite a bit because it brought up a, a number of other issues, but in terms of just the, the straight mechanic of being stuck in a, in a place that, that I didn't anticipate, uh, it was a dice roll. I, I mean, given my history on that show, it could very well have been like a spot hidden or spot something, hidden. something dumb <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. But it was, it, it was a failed role, and then it was it was two or three, if I remember right, in succession, and every time it it, uh, it sort of reinforced that same thing. Um, it was at least two uh, because I know there were there were two sort of side conversations with Michael saying, you know, um, yeah, the first one was talk down to to Joe, and for those who haven't listened to Under the Library, the other di dynamic with that is that uh, Franny. My character was an academic, um, older, uh, in her mid-20s, a scientist working in a lab. And Joe, Emily's character, was a 15 or 16-year-old kid. 16. 16-year-old 16 yeah. kid. So um, we were both... The, female kid. Exactly. Yes. We were both the two only female characters in the party. Uh, so I had had plans uh, for... Uh, Joe and Franny to sort of bond on the fact that they were the only two female characters. I was going to sort of, you know, as we were moving forward, kind of try to befriend Joe. 
So this you didn't really even really know you had that plan in yeah. advance. I wish you'd been my mentor. Right? Like I I, I thought it <laughs> there were all these cool possibilities of yeah. us like it, you know doing the sort of investigation thing and you had some information that could have helped Franny and Franny had some information that could have helped you and you know I thought it could have been this really cool um little sort of side thing and um that really sort of threw me for a loop um not to mention the stuff that we've talked about that you mentioned um that personally i found it difficult to to actually talk down to a kid not only because i find it difficult to talk down to you but um in my role as an adult in a building full of kids i don't like to do that in fact i do not do that um it's antithetical to the way that i like to work with kids um, so it, it, it was personally very difficult for me, but it, in the context of this show, it really sort of uh, boxed me in, in how I could deal with, or how Franny could deal with Joe. Uh, so I really had to kind of stop and take a pause and say, okay, well, here's where I am. Um, I, I had to kind of throw out, uh, what I had planned to do and, come up with a whole new strategy of, okay, how am I going to interact with, with Joe going forward? And how is Franny going to move forward with her goals? Uh, so for me, the solution was to just sort of take a step back and throw out what I had had before, and then just try to come at it from a whole new direction. Okay. And Michael, do you want to step in and give us your side of this situation? Well, I, it, this is one of those evenings where I'm kind of having an aha moment in the middle of the episode. And oh, awesome. Yeah, no, it, no, it, it's really nice. Uh, it's not, well, it, it's a nice moment to have, but it's also the reason for it's not. And my thought as I'm listening to this is uh, the, the thing I want to talk about happens later in that season uh, where I created even more dramatic strife between two characters uh, but I'm I'm starting to realize that, uh, you know, when we talk about kind of painting yourself in the court corners, um, I'm there's kind of been this I don't want to say theme, but certainly an exploration of storytelling in the last two seasons where there's been a lot more inner party dynamic than I would say in the first season, and. As I'm thinking about that, I certainly as a as a GM was more involved in I don't want to say inflicting, but that's probably the right word, inflicting <laughs> those those opportunities. And um I'm I'm having a you know, I'm having one of my my moments of regret here. Um because I, I've already talked about in previous episodes Franny's character and how I felt like we never really got to explore the possibilities with Franny's character and that my gut, my gut check here is that you don't want to paint yourself into corners in inner party circumstances, right? That um, the ones outside of the party are pretty easily solvable. Like whatever happens outside of the party dynamics, you can rectify pretty quickly. But once you paint yourself into a corner with, uh, a relationship inside of the party. So the PCs at the table um, and the players themselves, then that dynamic, it, it's hard to unroll it. And 
Um, and once once it gets baked in, it takes on its own trajectory that now, while we we are about kind of figuring out this story as we go along, it probably uh, in uh, I love the term focus. It shifts the focus to the wrong place in the storytelling uh, as I'm thinking about this. And um, I'm trying to kind of gather my words here in my mea culpa, but um, w- one of them or one of the thoughts is, is that one thing that like really frustrates me in major stories like The Walking Dead's a perfect one, for ex- example, right, is that uh even if you if you started with the graphic novel is that that story had a really particular direction and it also kind of had an episodic ending that they had planned on and all of a sudden i you know like i'm not judging here but like it became a really nice cash cow and so they wanted to keep it going and a lot of the way that they stretched out that series was with inter-party conflict, right? And and if you think about that kind of core group as your investigators or your, your D&D group or whatever, um, that when that starts to happen, it becomes more of a, a soap opera, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and you're no longer engaged in the setting in the world. You're engaged in trying to rectify what's going on in the party. And I, as I'm thinking about that and, and how that reflects on what we're trying to do is storytelling and as we move into kind of our fourth season, um, this is important information to me. Like I'm, I'm really going to leave this night with some, some big uh, takeaways personally in terms of um, pushing the focus of the story outwards instead of inwards and letting that movement outside of the characters determine the storytelling process in and allow that setting and what's going on outside to pull more out of their backstories than leaning into creating conflict within the group. Um, so, yeah. yeah, can I can I jump in real quick? Absolutely. Sorry, I, I've can I just there for... I just want to sum up a little bit the main points of what I took from Michael said, and then I'll go to you, Scott. Okay, the main. I'm not sure if that was a correct sentence, but I'm going to go with it. Um, (laughs) So essentially a general thought to players to really think before, make sure it's worth it to your character before causing inter-party conflict with another character. But even more so the message is to the GM because maybe it's not actually your job to tell a character how they feel, but instead to affect the world around them and leave it to the characters to make their own choices. Is that, does that? Uh... Yeah. And I know Scott, you want to jump in and, but that was something I was listening to another podcast the other day. And I, it's something I have a habit of is, is leaning into telling a character how they feel or how they would act uh, where I'm hearing a lot of GMs now saying this is your strong desire or this is what you're really leaning towards, but ultimately leaving that option up to the PC and Mm -hmm. uh, or up to the player and and determining that course for the PC. And I don't want to delve too far into that, uh, but it's something I'm working on personally. So, yeah, I I think that's a a great path to explore. So, Scott, what were you interested in adding 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think just going back to that point, the, I think what's interesting to me is the difference between painting yourself into a corner and being painted into a corner, either by oh, yeah. the, you know, the, the, the DM, the, the GM, uh, you know, someone else. And that seems to be a recurring theme, right? Like in, in, I talk about this a lot, but the difference in my mind between D&D and Call of Cthulhu is that, you know, in for take it with a grain of salt, but in Call of Cthulhu, like you're we're seeking verisimilitude, right? Like we're seeking some approximation of the real world. There's there's some sense of that, because then when the thing comes in that makes it Call of Cthulhu, there's real reactions and responses. So in that context, we're constantly trying to get some approximation of what the world might look like. So then when shit happens and it just is like, you got to react to it. You know, I'm looking for ways to react. That's reasonably close to what a character would do, but I know I've gone back to this before and I'm not trying to be a nudge, but like when Rick's character punched my character in the face, like the real, the real response would have been not what we did. Right. Like, I'm so glad you brought that up because brought, I was he, going to ask you about it. Yeah, he did significant damage. It was uncalled yeah. for. It was in a high tense, tension circumstance. It, that wouldn't have played out the way it played out. But because we needed to get the game moving forward and we were trying to bring the characters together, like I would have been like I should have been painted into a corner by that. Right. I should. My mm -hmm. response should not have been what it was. It should have been much stronger. I should, you know, hit him in the head with a gun. Like, like, like he just did some serious damage there. Like an FBI guy who's trying to move forward in this case. And some guy does major damage to him. Like, that's a big deal. And we just, I didn't respond even close to the way that I would have if I wasn't trying to move the overall story forward. And that's, you know, was that a good choice? Was it a bad choice? I have no idea. Um, yeah, and that I question that, of... Oh, I just want to say that question of whether you put the game first or your character first is always a difficult one, because if you put your character first, you might make a different decision. If you put the game first, you might feel like you're not true to your character. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's a good point. But in my mind, what I'm always coming back to is that it is ultimately a game. And more than that, to me, it's it's, you know, a shared narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to I've said this before, but I don't want to write a bad story. So if, you know, if I, if we go too much, if we lean too much into the verisimilitude, we're going to lose the story, right? Good stories do not hew to the truth. They do other stuff. And then that's why the narrative is so compelling. Um, and then just really quickly, I compare that to painting myself in a corner. And I do that all the time in, in D and D, but the reality is because it's hilarious. Like it's fun to play that way. Like there's, you know, Art's laughing, but that's because like there's like some item that we find in the middle of a, a crypt, and I'm like, I put it on my head <laughs> because what else would you do? Like, and then there's consequences and results, and I'm cool with that because that's like that is just part of it. But there also we can get through that really quickly. Like, think about the wand of whatever the hell it was where it turned people pink and it gave them like oh, yeah. we had this weird freaking thing where it just kept changing characters the fundamentally ru ruby red rod of condition ending yes the it's so good and so whenever it was used it would change a character somehow like i think art got I don't know, like purple nipples or i don't know what the hell it, it was, was pink it was, just it was pink whatever um but it, i think it was heart-shaped pupils at one point yeah, and somebody I mean, got heart-shaped ears and yep and and you know 
in for the most part, when it would happen to someone, it's not like we dramatically change things because we could move the story forward. And D&D is just much more malleable. It's mm-hmm. a much more malleable, envir- malleable environment than Call of Cthulhu. So, you know, in that case, or like all the times I got a pet, like I had this thing for a while where my idiot character loved things and he would get a, 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 a you know, a bear and a, a the, you know, monkey rat and like all these different things. And then he would lose them almost instantly because, you know, it's me like at the end of the day. So those were like things that could have changed the nature of the game, but we were able to sort of move through them quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great thing to add, especially because our conversation so far has been so focused on Call of Cthulhu, which is natural mm-hmm. because we play together, but that is a certain type of game. And there are a lot of RPGs out there that have a very different feel and a different game mechanic. And so it's worth mentioning that sometimes it actually might be fun to paint yourself into a corner. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, I, I just want to yeah, yeah. uh, go back to what Michael was saying, because I, I, Michael, I don't want you to beat yourself up about this. Um, you know, it's fine to, to, take it as a learning moment and what have you. But the one thing that we didn't get to about that sort of forced uh, uh, direction change between Franny and Joe is that it allowed for several episodes later for Franny and Joe to have a really nice redemption that wound up being a really great, like honestly, genuinely emotional um, uh, sort of making up. Um, and, uh, you know, coming together that, that I think became, uh, a, a stronger relationship bond than would have been forged otherwise. Now, the downside to that is that the story had moved so much further forward that, um, the, the possibilities of sort of co-investigation didn't get to happen, but in terms of, uh, you know, role play and character development, it, it was something that wouldn't have been able to take place had that previous, uh, you know, forced parting not happened. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, that's some uh, chops to or props to you two for for figuring out how to kind of weave that back together. And and to me, the the painting yourself into a corner I, I, to me is is when like you you get to a point where it's it's making the storytelling problematic like that's in my mind that's the real painting yourself and so um you know it, we resolved that and then poor joe i like made her fearful of crucifixes and religious iconography right. when there's oh, a no. nun in the party yeah and- that was the next season <laughs> And that one I really, that one I really regretted it almost, almost immediately as I did it. Um, I, because I, it just like, as soon as it happened, I didn't really think about the ramifications of that. And, and we figured a workaround to that. But I think that that was like kind of my, my real wake up that like, you know what, there's like enough going on in in the world around them that I don't have to insert this. That's yeah. that's almost like false drama. Michael, but, really quickly, in that situation, would you ever consider retconning? Just, you know, we're, we're doing live, we're going sort of quickly, shit comes out of your mouth, and then it's like, oh, God, I really, like, do you ever just, like, you know what, just replay that, I'm sorry, I said something I shouldn't have, and it's going to put us in a position that we don't want to be in. So let's rewind five minutes and start over. Like, do you ever consider doing that? 
Well, I think if I think if you're at your own table at like a hundred percent, right? Like there's no question about that. I think that that it's ultimately like anybody just admitting, you know what? Hey, I made a mistake here. Let's go back and let's fix that as a group. I like I think that at, at a gaming table that that's totally respectable. Um, it, in terms of what we're doing, I it's it's one of those things that usually like by the time I'm able to synthesize it and like since we have kind of all of our moving parts it's usually like 30 40 minutes later that um Mm. it makes it really right at that point do we do we scratch our storytelling we've never done that right so that doesn't make sense or or do we and and so I feel like like it part of it is an obligation that that as as a collaborative narrative like hey i i apologize i got us into this hole we're gonna figure a way out and in that we did because sister b was like well i actually don't wear any religious iconography right I just have the the habit on and things like that and and was able to kind of help um pull us back but it, it still felt like it didn't feel very clean right in the mm-hmm. end but I think that's a that that that's a good takeaway that yeah. when you paint yourself into a corner like that, look for little cracks in which to get out. Uh, and I think there always is some way to, um, while maintaining the authenticity of the story, to find a way around problems like that. Uh, and I think that's a perfect example of it. You know, okay. Maybe it's not all religious iconography. Maybe it's a specific type. And like you said, okay, this character doesn't wear any, so uh, you're not automatically pitting those two characters against each other. Um, you know, I, I think whatever situation it is, some thought and some flexibility will allow you to, to kind of get out of that and know that that whatever corner you're in it's not the end of whatever narrative thread you're working on there's always a way to to sort of work your way out of it you just have to to be like i said be authentic to the story and not only do you look for cracks to get out of your own problem but perhaps as a group working together you can help your party get out of a problem and that is kind of what Franny and I did when we decided to have to have a talk that we didn't plan the talk, but we decided to have a moment where we would work things out. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly what Scott did for Rick mm-hmm. when he made the decision to respond more uh, in a more kind and understanding manner to a face punch than most of us would. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, just really quickly, but it, I, I think that there's also something to be said when you're deliberately, and I'm not talking about this one, but just in general, mm-hmm. paint yourself into a corner, like like literally, like you're doing something that will have, you know, Michael, your point of breaking the story, bear the consequences, right? Like in that case, if if I deliberately do something and it breaks things, then I've broken it, right? Like my character dies. And if I've done something stupid, don't necessarily save me from myself. If I'm like, I'm not, I don't, you know, part of character or player agency is letting to live with the consequences of your actions. And sometimes we do dumb things. Oh yeah. So I do have, you regret I have bailing no problem with that? <laughs> no, yeah, because you, I you wanted, bailed, yeah. 
Yeah. I wanted the story to move forward, and I felt like our characters had been apart for so long. I mean, I love the Buddy and Eddie show, but I wanted, I wanted the next part of this, and I felt like we were so close. And and then that happened, and I'm like, fuck! I just I don't want to be in a position where character strife just continues to define everything. So no, I think I made the right choice. So I actually have a story that I can't not tell in this moment where I felt like I did not make the right choice bailing Mm. out Rick Uh, because there was this moment in, I mean, we've talked about this. There was this moment also in season two when Joe was running, not from Rick specifically, but just running because she wanted to do something and she didn't think that anything else was as important as doing this thing. But, uh, Sam, Sam, mm-hmm. his character is Sam. Yeah. But Sam was felt that it was his duty to protect this child. And it got to the point where I made a decision, Emily, to go ahead and smooth things over with Sam, because otherwise I would just keep running and he would keep chasing. And then like, where would we be? And then I regretted that later in the season because I put trust in a character and that character betrayed my trust. So I don't know what that would have done to the game if I had just kept running, but I kind of wish that I found out. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, I I mean, on, on both of those fronts, right. That um, I, I don't think, I think sometimes the 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 corners in my mind or the in terms of like y'all are kind of talking about the what ifs like what happens if I just keep running right and I think then that becomes up to the uh, to Scott to your point right that's up to the GM to figure out how the setting responds to that mm-hmm. um, how how it evolves to fit and and sure I mean y'all know that if characters do something crazy I don't mind lopping off a head or a hand or something like that (laughs) but um you know i in my mind like i think that and and scott as you kind of get into the DD call of cthulhu comparison and one thing that i've certainly been better about over the over the last probably two months is like taking a beat in critical fumbles because i feel like it's the it's the criticals right it's the fumbles and in Call of Cthulhu and in D&D, it's the critical successes, I think, that create these storytelling, right? Either you over-reward a player and all of a sudden they have too much power um, to to or focus in the game. Or in the reverse in Call of Cthulhu, you make a, a knee-jerk reaction on the fumble and all of a sudden you've created like this problem that becomes really difficult to storytell around. And so um, I've, when y'all have, and and God bless y'all all in your ninety six to a hundreds, y'all just <laughs> they come every episode. But yep. like, you know, it um, it I I've learned that like I don't have to respond to those immediately, and I think that comes out of something that you're saying, Scott. Right? Like, would you ever retcon it? And I'm I'm like finally figuring out like that instead of saying something and putting it out there and then having to peel it back. Right. Just like think on the ramifications, play out another scene for a moment and let those sit. And that's that's definitely um, played better for me. Right. I think that sounds like a great place to wrap up. So 
here's where we've ended up this episode. Shit happens. Uh, if it's happening outside of your party dynamics, the GM can probably find a way to deal with that. It's more complicated when it happens inside of the party and damages relationships. Uh, as we, I'll just will throw in there, it can also be fun depending on the game you're playing. One possibility is that it happens, you deal with it for a while, and then you look for a moment to mend a relationship, to have a sort of redemption, to build a great story with what you're given, which is what the game is all about. But also in that moment, there may be things that you can do to fix it, find the cracks, as I think Art said. I forget who said it. But also as a group, work together and consider if maybe it's worth helping that player to get out of their own corner. That'll put a wrap on this episode of Up Your RPG. Thanks for joining us. You can always find us at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table.